Salutation Shades, and welcome back to your one-stop shop for all things Snally Gastery, talking with shadows. The conversation everyone has, but no one wants to admit to. Here with your host, Vic Whaley. And the Jabberwock. I have eaten Marcus D and replaced him on this podcast. Wait, wait, wait. Does that mean it's now Vic and the Jabberwocky? Yes. Okay, that, that, is, that is an awesome name for a show. Let's do this, Jabberwocky. Beware the Jabberwock, my son. The claws that bite, the claws that catch. Beware the judge of bird and shun the frumiest bandersnatch. Wait, wait, wait. Let me get my sword out. Shh. Snickersnack. Snickersnack. Do you know the poem well enough to get that reference? That is from Target. No. That is not my ancient <laughs> enemy, the Vorpal Sword. Okay, good. I'm glad you got the Vorpal Blade that for some reason goes Snickersnack. Always it right. struck me as the weirdest part of that poem. Uh, also, I think it's cool that you knew that poem. Yeah, I pulled I pulled it up in front of me. I have the computer in front of me so I could read off. Oh. As I, was going. I knew the first two lines of that. I didn't know the last two lines. I, I'm a big Lewis Carroll fan. I like a lot of his stuff. Yeah, I know. That's why I quoted the, that's why I quoted the poem because it's just awesome. Just for me? Yeah, just for oh, you. Just thank for you. you. And for everybody listening at home who knew who the Jabberwocky was. And if you do, you're a better person than most people. And it's very <laughs> on brand for our discussion today, yeah. but we'll get into that after the comments. Yes. Uh, welcome, everybody, to the Talk Machine podcast. Uh, let's get into drinks, Vic. You, we've oh, got some, yeah. We've got some uh, very uh, on-brand, uh, on-point alcohol to be drinking today yeah, while we're, we're going, talking about... We're going with the theme today, and it's a little harder than we normally drink for the guessed. show. Do you want to explain while I'm pouring these out why we're drinking Moonshine? Yeah, so... Uh, the Stanley Gester is uh, uh, has a a really interesting relationship uh, with moonshine. Uh, there was a story involved in the 1930s that the Stanley Gester that a Stanley Gester falls into a vat of moonshine uh, and gets dissolved, uh, and then the prohibition officers apparently blow it up to dispose of the evidence of it. So, in honor of that, we're going to be drinking some moonshine while we're going to be drinking some apple moonshine. Uh, with some, you want uh, the actual brand? I can pass you the thing. Yeah, yeah I need to see the pouring. actual brand because I thought it was the stuff from Gatlinburg, but it's not. You do pass a little bit of sample. You get back on my Jabberwocky voice. It is Sugarland Sugarland's Shine, which is another, which is another, uh, which is another uh, really good brand of uh, moonshine. By the way, we've it's, had it before. It's it's pretty tasty. Sugarland Shine Appalachian Apple Pie Moonshine, which is very 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 awesome. Did you just give me like this whole mason jar of? No, you're not drinking Moonshine that. I'm, I'm pouring you drink. the one. I'm pouring you the one that you're drinking. Now. I'm gonna be. I'm gonna be sleeping here if I drink. No, no I, poured, <laughs> I, drink this. I poured yours very light. I like how like you're you're holding it in a dainty cup. I'm holding it like a man in the mason jar. I, I've poured yours very light. Mine's a lot thicker. So let's <laughs> let's how, all watch uh, Vic get drunk. Let's see how this let's see how this goes. But then you're thinking you're gonna be fully talking uh, all academically about the Snally Gaster. Then just... the Snally Gaster, it, it did a fly and it bit this guy. And then they, they tried to hire the third Monster Zeke movie. And it was like, no, I'm not doing that for that that much. I ain't scared kids, making them laugh. Mm-hmm. But 
<laughs> okay, okay. Drinks are poured. Drinks are poured. All right. So uh, let's go over some comments for our last episode. If you didn't check out our last episode, uh, we discussed the blue avian aliens, which was really awesome. It's this whole race of blue bird-like aliens that are you know just oh, bringing that is smooth that are just bringing us peace and love smooth no, they are, exactly they like are not the bringing blue. us peace and love i am convinced that there is some sort of blue avian conspiracy but on the other hand this moonshine is very smooth very I, sweet very appley i like how i was like they, they come in you're like oh very smooth oh yeah uh sarah uh sigman sycama original patron said blue avians collective knowledge internet power Y'all, it's Twitter. <laughs> oh my I god! I can't I did believe not think about the Twitter. Symbol. I didn't think that either, and I was I actually commented to her. I'm like, that's like a mic drop if I've ever heard one. That like, is my a entire mind drop in my in my enti- in my entire life. Uh, Dan Ward, super patron, said, <laughs> "We got him with the sour beard. Super happy to hear that the Discord is finally open." It's been really freaking it is fun. fun. Yeah, if you guys sign up to be a dollar a month more pay, uh, patron, you get access to our Discord. You get to hang out with us on Discord. We check it every day. You get to talk with us, ask us, ask us questions, make fun of Marcus intensely, which seems to be the theme of the Discord so far. Uh, the, the conversation has uh, shifted to tulpas recently, and I'm like, don't do it. Uh, Give my two cents on that. But yeah, come hang out with us on Discord. It'd be awesome. Uh, Laughing Fox patron said, uh, this was definitely a new one for me. Honestly, it smacks in the, it smacks of the free love cults of the seventies centered around these sorts of incomprehensible higher beings that despite being so far beyond us in every way, really wanted us to come live on these guys ranch and give them all of our money. Yeah. And- it's a, it's funny that these higher beings that have no need for money really want all of our money. Jams and jellies, jams and jellies. <laughs> Is that from King of the Hill? Yeah, that was the awesome. cult. that was the quote. I was like, "We're not a cult. We're just a group of people that promote peace and love." Like, yep, this is it. <laughs> uh, Avis Rex, the Dark Phoenix, says, um, "I have those sorts of dreams where there's something where something bites you when you wake up, still feeling the bite. Uh, wonder what an interaction will be like with these. Also, as someone who loves dinosaurs, I'm on the bird side and their relation. I like the idea that dinosaurs are still here." Uh, by the way, given how much I've enjoyed our chats on Facebook, maybe give them a break from birds and do a, and do a flyer. Uh, still like the Ahul or Kongimimoto, probably the spelling of that. Um, I think we have one more unbrand video for this, don't we? Yeah, I'm giving you that heart for giving me a break from the birds. There you go, good. But you're getting a break from the birds today, I know. kinda. I know, it's kinda. okay. Too many fun things to discuss here, so I'll pop back up with the first glitter. Hope you two have a very Merry Christmas. Well, we hope you have a Merry oh, Christmas, thank you. Too. Thank you, and everybody. So, uh, also, we hope all of our listeners have been very good this year. And you might find a present on your tree, your virtual tree, from uh, from uh, your Uncle Marcus and Uncle Vic. <laughs> or, if you've been very bad, you might get a visit from me dressed like Krampus. Krampus, that's... Yep. <laughs> Bags, chains, switches coming through your window. <laughs> it's like, what if one of... And if one of you was good and one of you was bad, it's still Vic dressed as Krampus coming to bring you a present. Yep. <laughs> you, just you just don't know what's going to be in the box. Just let me just say... Check whatever you listen to us on, and if there's a present for you there, that means you were good, and you're not going to get Vic Krampus. If go. not, I like that. get ready. I like that. Uh, Nighthawk. Uh, Pitchett says, I don't know what their real motives are. That's why I vote that Marcus gets in contact with him and reports his findings. No, you cannot Gonna. let Marcus around cults. You cannot let Marcus around cults. He will Gonna. join them. No, I, I first off, I'm not going to join a cult. There was just these really nice group of guys <laughs> out in California that told me they have a nice compound up in Michigan that I can go visit. He is so, anytime I want. 
He is so easily persuaded to join cults. What was the one that I had to like threaten you to keep you from joining? The Ethereum Society. Yeah, the they're, Ethereum up, Society. they're up in Michigan. They are very nice <laughs> and they can help me channel their leader who is on knock, Venus. Knock it off. You help. worried me with the whole Ethereum Society thing. <laughs> I was worried to go wake up one day and you were going to be like moved out and join them. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's see. Uh, Mary Gray said, saw a video on YouTube of the shoe bill, uh, the shoe bill that freaked me out. Uh, mom had two chick, one was chicks, one was weak and another was big and healthy. Mom knew what was about to happen and just took a walk while the other bigger chick did his little sibling in. Wow. Mom came in back and acted as if she only had one in the first place. Wow. <laughs> wow. You're like, what happened to this other bird? That, no, we only had one. Just that. That's cold, bro. I don't know. That's cold. We only had one the entire time. I don't know what you're talking about. Here, drink this dynamap. Dynamap. There you go. There you go. Robitussin. Uh, Etheria Falcon says, I don't trust the alien starseed people. They're hella sketchy, not to mention a bit crazy. But didn't we determine I was a starseed? Well, we just... Well, Am we I just, glowing we, light we, and light in soul? anybody can be starseeded based off of if you've ever felt lonely, sad, out of place. But, but I'm special though, right? And and I can guide all of us with my avian bird wisdom. Yeah. Kaka. I am feel said birds exist. Vic, I'm about to choose violence. I think you meant me, uh, and then it's accurate. I am also okay with that, though. Yeah, I, I am okay with that as well. <laughs> but birds, most birds are good. I don't like owls, but the rest are pretty cool. Yeah. I like A, Mary B said, the YouTube. That <laughs> oh, was using the in front of everything to piss off. Oh, Vic my God. So is that one um, commenter's name Sphiel? I am Sphiel, yes. Like, like, the, like the Pokemon. Like the Pokemon? Like the Pokemon oh, my God, yes. I freaking love Sphiel. That's one of my favorite ones. And, like, no one likes Sphiel. Well, if you're a Sphiel fan, please let me know. Speaking of, for this whole episode today, we were supposed to be talking about Snallygaster, and I thought that was a Pokemon for, like, it is the longest not... time. Wait, you really thought a Snallygaster was a Pokemon? There's there's 850 or 900 I of them. I think there's even more now. There's ch- Chances are there probably is a Pokemon called the Snallygaster. I'm pretty sure there is not a Pokemon called the Snallygaster. I might be wrong. I don't know all of them anymore. There's a certain point where you get high enough in the numbers that I just cannot memorize them all any longer. It'll probably be like an extension of like a Ghastly or something. Maybe. I think it would be Flying Dragon? They already have, oh, Flying Dragon. Uh, so, wait, there's kind of a, well, there's kind of, I think it would fit nicely in as a Pokemon. Like, if you saw, like, kind of what Maybe it looks like. Maybe Ghost Dragon? Ghost Dragon. Maybe. Make it, make, make it happen, Pokemon. I think there is a Ghost Dragon, but it's not the Snallygaster, but I don't know what it's called. Big hearts to anyone who can comment which one I'm thinking of. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, do we want to start off with the story yeah. and then start getting into... If you guys can't tell, we're super excited we about We are, this man. Topic. The Stanley Gaster was cool. We got talking about it the second that I came over. We realized we have to come down and start talking about this. So, uh, do, you want, do you want to kick it off, Vic? With the history? No. No. Pfft. Oh. <laughs> I hate doing the history of it. Fine. You know I don't like the history so, part. Okay. I okay. like the freeform discussion part. Okay, so we can do... <laughs> I will do the history as far as the the common story that as people know it now. Oh, and I can take it back past that. Yeah. Point so then. what we'll do is we'll do that. I will start there. So typically, the story of the Stanley Gaster starts in Frederick County, Maryland, uh, in the 1730s with some of the first German immigrants that came to that came to the area. And Stanley Gaster is a term that is uh, a a a branch off term 
of a German word, Schnellgeist. Yep. Which uh, translates to sort of a quick ghost. <laughs> so uh, uh, Schnellgeist is kind of like uh, what uh, German immigrants would uh, would blame any sort of weird spookums that sort of happens in their house. You know, there's a weird knock somewhere. You blame it on, you blame it on the Schnellgeist. Something falls down. Blame it on the Schnellgeist. Something breaks. Blame it on the Schnellgeist. It's sort of like a like a trickster apparition spirit that they could just blame it on. That was too quick for anybody to see. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. I'm on point. All right. And then throughout uh, the story, it was around 1909 is when, uh, February of 1909 is when sort of the description as we sort of kind of understand it now of the Stanley Gaster, of it being this chimeric creature of that's like sort of Al Gore's man bear pig where it's like half bird, half reptile, half octopus. Uh, <laughs> I, I like the octopus part. Like for the most part, think of like a bird body, yeah, a dragon-ish head with a sharp bill, a tail or maybe two tails, horns. goat horns, horns, and then like from what I can tell, either from its mouth or its chest, like a bunch of octopi tentacles, yeah, which sounds freaking metal. Two, two, like two to four feet, depending upon legs, depending upon. Yeah, sometimes it has hooves, sometimes it has claws. Kind of like a dragon. Big flying spookum. Big all sorts of spookum. Uh, and that's generally as we understand it now. In 1909, this is typically whenever the story of it starts. And it props back up in the news cycle about every 20 to 25 years with new sightings of this sort of creature doing all sorts of different types of shenanigans. And I think that's where we'll start. And if you want me to dial it back a little bit. Yeah, let's. Okay. You can. The um, Schnellgeist, or I've heard it pronounced other ways too, but I think Schnellgeist is correct. Um, it's basically a spirit or ghost that's quick enough that you cannot detect. Um, Geist can mean spirit in like a not so ghostly way, as well as like a natural spirit or a spirit sent by a divine being. Many people tie this in with the wild hunt, because when the wild hunt would fly over the sky, the huntsmen would be invisible, but could still move things around with great force which many people lump in as being a form of Schnellgeist. Mm -hmm. And depending on what origin of the Wild Hunt, they can be the dead waiting for Ragnarok, um, sinful hunters that were rejected from heaven, or just these holy spirits in the sky. There's so many different interpretations of the Wild Hunt throughout the whole history of Europe. It's actually one of the oldest like folkloric traditions in Europe, so old that they believe it may have came from a culture... That was before the Celts, but we have no clue who they would be. But it seems like in the early in the early twentieth century, that's when it made this jump from being this ghost to being like a believed to be flesh and blood sort of cryptid sort of thing. Like that's whenever that sort of like transitioned into something different. Well, interestingly from, enough, from though, Germany though, right? There are older traditions besides the Schnellgeist that actually match up with. This creature, like, there's actual several of them, like you could go with the Wyvern or the Cocktrice or many of the Pseudo-Dragons. Or Lewis Carroll's The Jabberwocky. Or Lewis Carroll's The Jabberwocky, but that was written about the same time, mm. wasn't it? 1865 or 64, I can't remember. There you go. Head. Yeah. But I'm talking about traditions that go much further right, back. Like right, right. in many of the early descriptions of it where it's very bird and reptile, it matches up pretty well with a giant Cocktrice. 
except for tone down the chicken aspects of it just a little, and you basically have it. Right. But it didn't seem like when I was doing research on it that it was that sort of physical monster that came out that came across the boat with German immigrants. It seemed like whenever they got here, most immigrants that were here typically had it as this sort of ghost-like entity at first. Well, there were some stories about possibly an immigrant had brought an egg over, mm-hmm. um, but not anything that was like... How do you hide like, the egg? The egg's supposed to be as big as a barrel. We're I hide have that. heard that they can be as big as a barrel um, and apparently take 20 years to inc- er, incubate, mm-hmm. but that's a long gestation period. That's very long. Like, I'm trying to think of what, uh, what would justify a 20-year gestation period, and my only thought would be its internal organs would have to be insanely complicated and insanely advanced to justify that long of an incubation. Well, it seemed like the, uh, the monster <laughs> itself was, it seemed like the monster itself was supposed to be incredibly tough and durable. I mean, it, what was it like just average bullets didn't seem to work. There were stories from like the night, like 1909 kind of, uh, it was George Jacobs. Whenever like news articles in, in the early 20th century started talking about people spotting this thing, guy named John Jacobs tries to shoot the thing and it, the bullets just bounce off like it's not going to do nothing. So maybe yeah. that's a reason about why it would take for it so long to to, to be in its gestational period inside the egg is because it would take that long for the creature to... Also, there's no stories of baby Schnelliasters. Maybe it just comes out that big. And if we want to talk about maybe a more mystical aspect of the Schnelligaster, if once again we relate it back to the cocktrees... Um, the Snellygaster, you know, it's supposed to take 20 years to incubate, but maybe that's because there's something special going on in the egg process. Maybe the reason why the Snellygasters seem to have odd different descriptions is because maybe something about their incubation changes what comes out. Like, for example, do you know how a village gets a cocktrice? Uh-uh. It, they're not born from a cocktrees mommy and a cocktrees daddy getting down with each other, to the best of my knowledge. That's not what I heard in science class. <laughs> but my understanding of the origin of the cocktrees is where a hen's egg is incubated by a toad. Then this deadly chicken dragon will be born. Now, I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and try to justify this with any form of science because I can't make it make sense. Like, the only thing that I could try to say is... Maybe it has a permeable membrane that continually picks up DNA as it incubates. Well, but we know that chicken eggs don't do that. <laughs> okay. Well, no. Here. Well, what if the reason about why is it say like it, there's there's never any story that I have ever heard of involving the Snellygaster when I was researching this. Well, there's more than one. There is always one. Typically, at least typically in America, yeah. in America, in America, um, at least make that distinction. And so maybe it's not, maybe it's more like a phoenix. Maybe once the thing dies, it returns back to wherever its home is, and then it just, there's that egg that's there. And it just returns this egg state and has to incubate for 20 years, and then it pops out as an adult one. But the thing is, we have seen other similar things to Snallygasters occurring around the same time, like you have the um, Jersey Devil Devil at the same time. Maybe they have large territories. So mm-hmm. once they're born, they instinctively separate out in different directions, and that's why you don't see them like together very often. Mm-hmm. Like, kind of like, like tigers. Tigers have to roam a huge area to run into a female tiger because they don't really cohabitate most of the time. Well, there's, a, there's a lot of stories of flying monsters that circulate in newspapers from like the 1870s up to like the 18, like 1930s. Actually, one of them we've like, covered you know, like, you know, earlier on the podcast. The, the Van Meter v- monster, yeah. Yep. 
and so, you know, maybe that's sort of what we're seeing with some of these is we're seeing like territories for some of these like large predatory bird like monster type creatures that are everywhere all over the all over the US. And where'd they go? The Smithsonian. And the Smithsonian covers it up. They took them and they're mm-hmm. hidden away with all of our giant bones. Yeah. So what Vic is talking so what Vic is talking about so what Vic is talking about. So this, the story of the Snellgaster explodes in America in, 19, in, in February of 1909. It was like February, I want to say it was February 8th, 8th and 9th. I've got it on my notes here somewhere. I want to make sure that I get the right one. Nine. Okay. February 9th. February 9th, 1909. The Middleton Valley Register uh, in, in Maryland writes this story talking about people spotting the Snellgaster and gives the whole description as we see it as now. And from there, tons of other newspapers in the surrounding area also write their own sightings of the Snellgaster. And all this culminates all the way up throughout February down into March. I mean, it got so it got so big, rumors circulated that the Smithsonian was putting out like a $100,000 bounty on uh, uh, on the Snellgaster. $100,000 if you can catch us one. There's actually another legend on the origin of the $100,000 yeah. too. That supposedly there's this specific shell in Africa. Mm-hmm. That can only be properly polished by a Snallygaster hide, mm-hmm. and that people were offering it for that reason. Yep. And then, uh, what was it? Oh man, it was so man, it was so big in 1909. The story goes that uh, they were seeing uh, Theodore Roosevelt on his way out of office uh, in March of uh, March of 1909, claimed that he was going to go hunt the Snallygaster down. Now, granted, during this time, he was also about to leave and go on an African safari and shoot a bunch of big game. Now, if there's one U.S. president that I believe that would actually probably oh, go so shoot. Oh, could take, the, or not Sonsonian, uh, he could have taken yeah. the Snallygaster. Like, I 100% believe positive. that he would, yeah. Roosevelt is one of my favorite presidents. Well, I think, too, well, I think even, too, that sort of tying in, you know, an American monster with a with a president is something we've, been see, we've, we've seen before, like the oh, Bell yeah. Witch, the Bell Witch with Andrew Jackson. You tie it in with like a president, it sort of gives it kind of like a legitimacy for it. And the the, hard, the thing though about Theodore Roosevelt, it's it's kind of hard to determine whether or not that was true. It's oh, yeah. not true. It may have just been published that he would told that, and so that we know he didn't go because he went on his African safari. Nah, but I but I one hundred percent believe that a neighbor would be like, uh, yes, yeah, sir. There's uh, rumors of this giant elephant sized bird reptile monster flying around in Maryland, and he got like. Yeah, I'd shoot it. And then, it. Truthfully, I could see Roosevelt hearing about this and going, if I wasn't going on African safari, that's where I would go. I is, could see this. It's not that far. No, he's, it's not, a, it's not a long trip. He's, he's not that far from He's like a day from and it. supposedly the Smithsonian was going to be involved with that expedition. Right, right, right. I mean, he's but like, instead, he's, he went and shot a bunch of animals in Africa. And do you know where those animals ended up? The Smithsonian. Yeah, yeah, he actually ended up right. donating a lot of the corpses that you see nowadays in the Smithsonian Museum. He shot so many of the surplus, so we had to give them to the Smithsonian. I could only assume. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that he couldn't put, that he just couldn't put them on display. <laughs> I remember how hot you were during that. Um, do you remember that show that used to be on? I think it was the History Channel where they matched up two historical figures to fight. And they did Lawrence of Arabia versus Teddy Roosevelt. I remember that. And I remember you, how mad you got when Teddy Roosevelt won. There's n- Teddy Roosevelt was an overweight dude. Like, Lawrence of Arabia was British Special Forces dropped in the middle of the desert to cause an uprising. He's not going to kill him. Teddy Roosevelt is just that awesome. No, he he's is that not. Like, he's tough. But it doesn't matter how tough you are, a bullet sounds the same in every language. And I don't care if a bullet won't stop the bull moose. He's got more... 
Lord Suburbia has more than one bullet. I don't and he know. Knows, they and he knows where to shoot. <laughs> he knows where to. He wasn't even driving with a gun. He had I, a knife. I knew. I knew this would get you stirred up. <laughs> I love Teddy Roosevelt. Like I'm sure he's, you know, he's an American myth, like legend. I get it, but it's just it didn't make sense. It sometimes makes me wonder if Teddy Roosevelt knew more than he let on, considering that we're having all these issues with things that seem to be living in the national park system. Him being the father of the national park system. And then the additional cryptic connection. Like he wanted to just sort of give these sort of uh, large areas of space to all these cryptids, so he could go, so he could go hunt them. Maybe, but I think more likely to give them a place to keep them away from humanity. Right, right. Like as a as a con- like a conservation sort. Of. I could see him doing that. I don't have a solid thing behind this theory, no. but something I do wonder from time to time. But let's just jump back to the Snallygaster. Sure. We di- we digress. We digress. Truthfully, I think there's a lot of different potential candidates based on the stories of what the Snallygaster could be. One of them being, I don't think it's entirely out of the realm of possibility that it could be a surviving pterosaur. I mean, think about the description. Me of the descriptions describe it with this long needle-like beak, mm-hmm. like many pterosaurs had. In a tail. It, many pterosaurs had tails. They could walk. They had the body shape that most people describe the Snallygaster as having the wings and then two legs. Truthfully, I, I kind of feel like that might be what they're describing. Okay, so here's my issue when it comes to the Snallygaster. Like, even though there's a lot of different descriptions of what, this, what the Snallygaster looks like, a lot of them all have it having like a single eye like in the middle of its forehead. That's true, and, and that is an issue. How, how in the world are you going to be like some sort of Apex avian predator flying around with one eye with, like, screwed up depth perception. I'm not... Let me look something up real quick while you talk, because I think I have a point, but I want to make sure I'm right. Like, think about it, like, right now. Like, if you're listening to this, think about, like, how many... Like, can you name a single bird species that has one eye? That's, you know, that where it's whole... The whole thing about the Snallygaster was that it would swoop down, pick people up, drink their blood... Um, or it would just abduct people and, and fly away with them. Like, to be able to do that, to fly down, your depth perception would have to be enormous. And that's not going to, you're not going to have that having only one eye. Like, cover one eye up right now and try to grab something. Your depth, okay, yeah, your depth my, perception my th- is totally thrown off. What I was thinking is wrong. I was like, ah, I'm trying to remember, do giant squids have one or two eyes? Because you only ever see one eye at a time because of how they're spaced out. But no, they have two eyes. I can't really think of... Any quick, effective predators that do not have two eyes. Well, I, the two eyes are the standard for us. Well, truthfully, I, I don't think... I think that if the Snallygaster is real, it probably does have two eyes. I think... Wait, didn't the Van Meter monster only have one eye? It had a light that was on the top of its head. That's I think, what I'm thinking I, I think, of. I think it had two eyes. But I, I, my money says that it has two eyes. I think the problem that we're running into with the Snallygaster is that there is a lot of different... In the, there's a lot of different descriptions of the Snallygaster, and people just sort of like to use the description that sort of fits for them. Because, again, we're talking about 1909. This is not a time in which newspapers wrote with the greatest of uh, journalistic integrity. No. It was after this period that they sort of decided to uh, to have journalistic integrity. Thank God they didn't get rid of that. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, at least that's what they claim. Anyway, um, so... I mean, even there were some stories about the Snallygaster that came forward to be hoaxed. And then there were some that didn't. I mean, I'm not, yeah. not, not going to say that didn't. So you, you run into this. Even the 
owner of the Snellengaster Museum in Maryland, which is super cool that there is one that just opened I really up this year. A, I really uh, want to take a trip. It was uh, Sarah Cooper. Uh, said that her, I, her, I was listening to her in an interview on a podcast, and she said that she liked the image of it with the squid tentacle-like arms that she had on her. Like, she just, that's the image she liked, and she ran with it. I and mean, you kind of have to make that choice when you're dealing with so many different descriptions of the same creature. Yeah. Um, I wanted to go back to the one eye thing for a moment, though. Sure. One of the things I was thinking is if it had some sort of crest or divot or concave area in that in that spot, I think a lot of people would mistakenly think that that is an eye, and I think sure. that could be a potential reason for it. Yeah, like maybe instead it's got like two small eyes that are that are under it, and yeah. it's just got like this concave like open part right here. Yeah, or it could be a form of plate over there that has a divot in the middle of the plate, which many animals do have. That could be discolored or something. Yeah, and then like when someone looks at it, they just read that as an eye because they're not seeing the creature for long enough to really get a good look. That's true. And truthfully, if a elephant-sized uh, chimera jumps down and grabs me, I don't know if I'm going to have like be focusing on its eyes so much as the giant talons. That have been gripped or squid tentacles, but that, I would say that, that grappled you. That's assuming that it comes from the same genetic lineage as us. That's what my answer would be, because it is. Are not, you saying that I could be related to the Snellengaster uh, genetic lineage? Only in like the way that you're related to slugs, because if you go far enough back, all life has a common source. Okay. So in that sense, yes. Like you just sort of said that I'll laissez-faire like, so I want to be like, I'm related to the Snellengaster. That would be so cool. But what if he comes from? A different genetic lineage. This creature is already alien and doesn't fit properly within our laws of biology. Like it's related to Cthulhu? Maybe. I don't know. Like but think about like Elder this. Horror? Name name a vertebrate that has tentacles. Big Whaley. I wish. <laughs> that would be <laughs> awesome. I would slender man people all the time. But I unfortunately do not have tentacles. And I can't think of... Any vertebrates that do, I might be wrong. There might be some, but I can't think of any offhand. Can you? Oh, you're looking it up? Let's see. I'm looking it up. I, I would bet you there are not vertebrates with tentacles, but I might be wrong. A star-nosed mole. Those are technically tentacles? Oh. Okay, star-nosed moles have these dweegly bobs at the that. ends of their nose, and I didn't think they'd count as tentacles, but maybe they do. Okay. A star-nosed mole looks like a baby snallygaster. Have change, you ever seen one of these before? Change, I'm looking at it now. They're change cool. my mind. I'm just, that is absolutely a baby Snallygaster. Okay. Holy Christ. But outside of the Star-Nosed Mole, which their tentacles are not really gripping tentacles. They're a form of sensory organ. This thing looks like it has an alien face hugger Is this really your face. first time you've ever seen one of these? I have never seen one of these. Oh, my God. Pick up a biology book sometimes. That is insane. I'm going to put a photo on that. I am zoology shaming you right now. I'm going to save that. Good Lord. <laughs> you okay over there? Did this just, like, shatter your world? It did. It did. I'm, sa- I'm, sa- I'm saving <laughs> this so people can see what this thing looks like. Okay. Just don't join a star-nosed mole cult. I won't do that. I promise. Okay, but excluding it, which... if. I do not believe its, tent- or its tentacles can grasp. If I remember, they're just an extended sensory organ for feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, most vertebrates do not really have tentacles, and I can't think of any tentacle or any vertebrate that has a grasping tentacle like this is assumed to have. Right. Beyond that, although scales do exist in avians, they mainly exist on the feet, which are specifically the talons, but this seems to possess more than that. Um, this type of tail is not normally seen in flying avians, and I can't even think of any ground-based avians that have a tail like that. It's more prone to something along the lines of a lizard. Mm-hmm. And 
the one, if we're assuming it does legitimately have one eye, that is also an extreme oddity. When cyclopism happens in vertebrates, it's pretty much always a birth defect, not something that's naturally created. I'm thinking that this might not fit on our biological tree of life. Like, well, I heard a lot of when I, when I was listening to, to Sarah from the museum talk, a lot of her, they were she was throwing around the idea that a lot of people nowadays are talking about it being this extra dimensional being that's sort of come that's sort of come here, I, and it not being necessarily a natural creature. I wouldn't be ready to fully throw that out. I mean, one um, writer of the time period said it did not seem to follow natural laws. It seemed to appear and disappear as it willed and seemed to follow its own ways. Um, to a degree, I might be tempted to believe this because biologically it's not congruent with evolution as we have it. Now, could a creature with one eye have binocular vision? Yes, if the eye took a different route in evolution involving series of multiple lenses and also multiple like sensory inputs, it could. It's not impossible. It's just our eye did not come about that way. That's why we prefer binocular vision. It's not in our toolkit for our eyes to do that. Right. But what do you think? Do you think it could have been extra-dimensional, maybe a product of a different genetic line? Or perhaps... Uh, I, I don't like throwing this one out because this one gets thrown out too much. It's the whole perhaps it was from space thing. I don't think that's the case, but... I don't see why we shouldn't at least discuss that possibility. I think, I think part of what it, I think, okay. I think with how many different types of descriptions that there are, I think that it could be a large winged creature. And I think the tentacle part could be more hyperbole than people give it credit for. And I'm only saying that because of specifically for the snail and gaster, when you see how, when you, when you, when you research it and you see how many hoax stories there are and how many real accounts that are not, that are just flat different because there's periods between like 1909 and the 1930s in which they start describing it as being hairy. Like they start adding hair to it and people start giving that sort of description too. And it just starts getting all cattywampus and what it looks like. So I, I think that if I'm going to guess that if it's real, it's, if it's a biological creature, it probably doesn't really have tentacles. It probably has like claws and wings and a tail and, it's, and, it's, and it's closer to that pterosaur type creature that other places around the United States have seen. And perhaps if it does have feathers, perhaps some of the maybe, ancillary maybe, feathers maybe. that come out from behind the, right. or from around the armpit area, hang down that could be misread yeah, as tentacles? Yeah, maybe, maybe they do. Because I don't think that there's any instance in which the tentacles are used to grab people. Most of the stories involving it clutching it with its feet, with its talons, mm -hmm. like a pterosaur or, or like, an, like a bird. I want to throw out a really off-the-wall hypothesis that I've been thinking about a lot. If we assume that the Van Meter Monster, the Jersey Devil, the Sonali Gaster, and many of the other things that fit a general description but all have notably different traits came from the same thing, perhaps going back to my cock tree statement earlier, mm. perhaps something about their shell is permeable, allowing them to absorb DNA. Um, or perhaps even DNA that they digest when they're young, they would have to have some sort of biological mechanism to assess what traits are good and which traits are bad, basically what traits would be usable by them and mm -hmm. which ones wouldn't. They would also have to have a advanced internal system for implementing the adjustments because obviously if you just tell it to grow a lizard leg, it's going to have this tiny little leg sticking off a large <laughs> body. Yeah. 
but say if it was if it had such advanced adaptations it's not something that would be biologically impossible biologically impossible by anything that we have nowadays but all these things could potentially be done i mean hell like flatworms if you want to talk about how amazing the life we have is you can teach a flatworm the layout of a maze he can't really learn how to run it they're not that smart they can learn the layout of the maze. Mm-hmm. If you dice up that flatworm, feed it to another flatworm, that flatworm knows the layout of that area. Dun, dun, dun. The thing is, biological life can do some incredibly insane things with sufficiently complex biological tools. There's a lot of things that wouldn't necessarily be off the table. It's just not something we've ever seen in our tree of life. Right. It's just something that I was thinking of because these are always like these strange chimeric creatures that are running around. I've always wondered, if they're from a singular line, how do they diversify to such extremes? And the differences between snallygasters could even be different generations of the same line. Yeah, but they, so they were just absorbing different uh, traits in order to be able to fit like what would be useful for them at the time. It's possible, like, I would imagine that if you're doing that, you're gathering from your environment either through absorbing it through some sort of permeation in the egg or through eating it. Yeah. Those so, would be my only real thoughts on how that would occur. Well, and one of the things, too, that people talk about is they people claim that they know where the nest for this thing is. I mean, if your mm-hmm. gestation period is 20 years, and the, the the nest is supposed to be between the Gap, the mountains in Maryland, between Gapland and, where'd you go? I have it. Boo. Gapland and Burkittsville. Sorry, there we go. And people put that they found the nest, but they haven't been able to find it again. There's only real one account of people ever finding the egg of this. Oh, yeah, tell the story. This is neat. In which people said that they found the out the they found they found the egg itself, and it's the size of a barrel. And then describe it yellowish, and it had a texture like hard paper. Whenever they felt it, which paper is permeable, it absorbs it. So I wonder that's if true. If they're talking about it having that kind of a texture, if that's sort of the case, and then. For some reason, they can't seem to find it again after that. But The thing is, like, the enamel of an egg has a super high hardness. That means it does not bend, but it also means it is not going to absorb. That's why, have you ever, like, put pressure on an eggshell and it bend instead of crack? Mm-hmm. I haven't. Mm-mm. Yeah, they, they, they shatter because they have a high hardness. This sounds like if it's a more rough paper-like material, instead of having a high hardness, it would have a high toughness. Which would be more like, uh, say, an alligator egg. The, you know, the you've heard the term a leathery egg before? Mm. That's what alligators have. And that sounds like, if someone's tr- describing me, the egg felt like rough paper, I would assume they're describing a leathery egg, which are more permeable than a hard shell. Like, say, a chicken egg. Mm. Although, don't let your chicken eggs get to toads, because you might end up with, with the cockatrice, and they are... Stupid, hard to kill. And then they petrify you. Yeah, they're and, deadly. Yeah, <laughs> don't like that. That will cause uh, that will cause Fallout seventy uh, seventy eight right there. <laughs> like that's the, the you know if a cockatrice gets out in America. So, so uh, have you gotten to the point yet where I can bring up some kind of the, the dark history surrounding? Oh the, yeah, we need to. Yeah. We so need... like, regardless of how long this episode is going to be, we're going to go. We can talk about it as, as much as we want. But I think like, when you're, when you're personally, talk... I don't think the misuse of the legend detracts from the legend at all. No, so no. I think we should. We definitely need to. So talk about one of the this. things that needs to be understood needs to be understood about the Snellgaster is so the Snellgaster becomes very popular as a story in America in in, in February of 19, in 1909. Okay, prior to that, 
supposedly, uh, uh, it was the, the story of the Snallygaster was supposed to be used in order to scare uh, slaves in Maryland from running away. So the story was if you would try, like, try to take off, the Snallygaster is going to get you in the woods. Uh, and supposedly, or even from um, going to meetings where uh, people in minority were beginning to organize and call out for rights. Oh yeah, like places where those meetings were going on, they would always post, "Black men stay home. Yeah. The Snallygaster will get you." Yeah. Like the the story of the Snallygaster when they talked about it in February 9th, 1909, when the first, by the way, description of the Snallygaster comes out, mind you, the first story that comes from the Middleton Valley Register. The title of the article is itself itself is the colored people are in grave danger. Yep. And they describe the Snallygaster and they say that it will snatch up uh, African American men or women, mainly men, uh, at night uh, and warn them. And it was this, this was at the same exact time, uh, like within this within the same week, within the same week, whenever the first story of the Snallygaster in 1909 comes out in Maryland. Whenever the NAACP was founded in Boston, not too far away. So all throughout that time, all throughout that that month of like February 1909 to March 1909, um, when the when people are writing stories of it, there's tons of there's tons of different people that are being uh, interviewed about the Snellagaster, which I thought was interesting, um, and allegedly that they were interviewing people saying, "Hey, are you worried about the Snellagaster?" And they were saying, "No, I'm not worried about the Snellagaster. I'm worried about." Uh, that the, democratic law. Oh, yeah, it's the, it was the Strauss Amendment. In 1909, that would have been the Strauss Amendment that Maryland was trying to pass to disenfranchise African-American voters. Yep. So generally, it was assumed that the newspapers at the time were making up stories of the Snallygaster as their way to draw attention to this law that Democrats were trying to pass to disenfranchise, disenfranchise African-Americans at the time. Um which, and this was like the second time that they had tried to do it. And they were still doing it even after that. But that was the thing that they were trying to do. So. And this isn't the first time we've heard of par- or groups using a paranormal force as a force of political power. No, 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 no. Uh, there was a, there was an island I know in Asia, even during COVID, that they would say if you left your house uh, during the lockdowns, ghosts would get you. Oh, yeah. And I think it was Uganda. It was a Af- it was a African country. I can't remember which one. I think it was Uganda where they said if you voted for the Liberal Party, this bat monster would come and rape you. Right. Yeah. So and this isn't this wouldn't be oh actually it might be the first time because all these yeah. both of these things come later but I bet you it's not yeah and even the and even like the only death attributed to the Snallygaster on February twelfth nineteen oh nine of Bill Jefferson um was a gentleman that was supposedly walking along picked up by the Snallygaster had his blood drained and was tossed off the cliff was the only African American gentleman in his hometown and it was never investigated again that so sounds I mean, shady as hell yes. So I mean, there's a dark history when it comes to the Snallygaster and it's mis- in the legend of its misuse when it comes when it comes to when it comes to this particular legend. So I, you know, you can't gloss over it. Oh when, no, you have to discuss when, this when, when you're talking about when you're talking about the Snallygaster. But let me offer a reason why I think there's more to it than that. Sure. I think these political groups were utilizing a already existing legend mm-hmm. because many are uh, German people in the area already had a cultural t- tradition that allowed them to ward them off. But mm-hmm. I figured, why don't we get into the magic of how yeah. to stave off the Snallygaster yeah. in the patron segment, along with just a lot more Snallygaster stuff. Because stuff, stuff when we talk about We've got a lot. Yeah. So, final conclusions? Yeah. Um, you know, I'll go first with, with the Snallygaster. You know, I think the Snallygaster is an interesting example of sort of, uh, you know, you know, it's a... 
it's a cryptid of folklore from Europe that comes over that comes over to America, and you can just sort of see its evolution throughout time. You know, it's you know it's a cryptid that throughout throughout much of American history is been has been utilized you know in the political sphere in some sort of way. You know, it. You know, we got in. We we were talking about it with you know the disenfranchisement of African American rights in the ni- in nineteen oh nine. You know, we we didn't really get so much in the episode whenever they brought it up, up again in prohibition. I sort of told the story surrounding that they're bringing it up again during the fifties to describe McCarthy. By the way, that's another that's another time that it was brought up um, as sort of an allusion to that. So the Snellengaster has been rooted in the American political arena for that. And uh, I don't know. I think it makes it it it, it makes it a much more. Uh, it, I don't want to say a fun cryptid. You know, it's not like Bigfoot when you when you sort of do it. It's 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 more of a cryptid that 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 you got to take with a grain of salt and 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 requires you got to you got to look at it with a wider lens to understand everything that's going on with it. I think although the Snallygaster may have been utilized for political gains and for political motives, I think it represents a greater aspect of folklore. Mm. Creatures like the Snallygaster have been reported throughout folklore in North America, South America, in pre-colonial times. They've been seen in Egypt, Africa, the steppe countries, Northern Europe, Southern Europe. These things exist all over. We just call them different names and we have all sorts of traditions around them. That makes me think there's more to it than a puppet that was made up for a political reason. I think it was more co-opted than created. What are your guys' thoughts on what? Are, what's your guys' thoughts on the uh, uh, on the on the gas? What do you guys think that it's a real cryptid? Do you guys think that it's just a piece of folklore that's been used in the political arena? Um, you know, do you think that it's viably possible? Do you think it's a real cryptid? Do you think it's something from another dimension? Put your guys' thoughts uh, in the comments below. Um, if you're listening to this somewhere where you guys can leave us a like, leave us a like, leave us a review. Those are great ways in order to help out the podcast. If you're listening to us on YouTube, uh, don't forget to hit that uh, subscribe button. Hit that notification bell. That way you get notified whenever we put out new episodes and new content. Uh, stick around uh, if you're a patron for the Pillow Talk segment because we're going to be talking about some really, really fun stuff with how to ward off. That's right. The if you don't want to get eaten by the Snallygaster, sign up to be a patron. Be a patron. We'll teach you. <laughs> we're, we're about to teach you. So, but until next time, guys, keep believing. Because we'll keep listening. All right, guys, we're going to slide into the Pillow Talk segment of this podcast. If you want to check out the rest of this awesome podcast, all you got to do is go over to our Patreon and sign up. For as little as a dollar a month, you get the rest of this awesome podcast, as well as bonus videos that we put up exclusively for our patrons. If you send me $2 more of a month, you actually get access to our poll where you get to vote on the theme of the month. Right now for January, it's currently looking like monsters and magic. I'm pretty hyped about that concept too. Mm-hmm. So, and again, if you sign up for a dollar a month, you actually get access to our Discord. You can hang out with us, talk to us, ask us questions about the episodes or just generally other questions that you had. It's been fun. Uh, and we've been posting in it every single day. So come on over and hang out with us. But we're going to keep talking about the Snelly Gaster because we... In the bulk of this, we didn't really get into how to get rid of it, right? Or how to ward no. away. So, and there's this really cool thing that's like in the app, like the Appalachians to the, to the East Coast with, with folk.